Redwood Drive at Alder Point. Blue Star Gas provides propane and and gas appliances throughout Southern Humboldt, Northern Mendocino, and Trinity Counties, locally owned and independent since 1938. And support for Redwood Community Radio comes in part from the Security Security Store, Inc. in the Meadows Business Park in Redway, featuring watershed dry bags and pelican cases in many sizes. Both have lifetime warranties and have been tested over time in Humboldt County. The security store has solutions for all security needs and is open Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5 p.m. And their number is 923-2363. And you are listening to This is Redwood Community Radio, KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM and HD1, KMUE Eureka, 88.1 FM and HD1, or you may be listening to us on KLAI Laytonville at 90.3 FM. You may also be listening to us on the web at KMUD.org. And uh, if you are in Shelter Cove out there, you might be listening to FM Translator K258BQ Shelter Cove at 99.5 FM. And that's who we are. This is KMUD, and it's about 7.01, and we're going to go to Ask Your Herb Doctor very shortly, so please stay tuned. And uh, good evening to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. Uh, for those of you who perhaps have never listened to our shows, which run every third Friday of the month from 7 to 8 p.m., uh, I'm a licensed medical herbalist who trained in England and graduated there with a master's degree in herbal medicine. I run a clinic in Garberville where I consult with clients about a wide range of conditions and recommend herbal medicine and dietary advice. So you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM and from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock you're invited to call in with any questions either related or unrelated to this month's subject an ongoing subject perhaps of the use of urea in the treatment of uh, various pathologies. Uh, We're also going to get into a uh, recapitulation if you like about isoflavones, soy products uh, etc things that are touted as being healthful uh, and where the mistakes have come from um, because I know Dr. Pete has uh, at length uh, discussed various of these subjects and uh, there, there is no science behind it so uh, but unfortunately there's still portrayed in the mainstream as very healthful along with the fish oil so uh, we're going to get into that later on after the topic of uh, urea in the treatment of disease uh, for those uh, of you who are calling outside the area, uh, the show is live and from 7.30 until 8 o'clock we take callers uh, who'd like to pose questions to Dr. Pete, either related to this month's subject or if indeed they have other questions uh, health-related that they'd like to ask Dr. Pete, then they're also welcome to do that. So the number, if they live outside the area, the toll-free number, is 1-800-KMUD-RAD, which is one 800 uh, for those in the local area, the 707 area code at least, uh, the number is 923-3911. Uh, and I can be reached uh, toll-free on 1-888-WBM-HERB for consultations or any other further information Monday through Friday, regular business hours. Okay, so Dr. Pete, are you with us? Yes. Oh, hi. Thanks for joining us. So, again, as always, uh, perhaps for those people who might have just tuned in for the first time, 
or for people that may have only heard of you once or twice, as well as those who are regular listeners uh, to your show, would you just discuss uh, your professional and academic background and uh, how it's brought you to where you're at now? Um, I don't really have a professional background, I guess, but academically uh, I studied uh, various things uh, for an MA in humanities and and then 1968 to 72, I got a PhD in biology, specializing in uh, reproductive physiology and the biochemistry related to it. Uh, but I, I've been talking to lots of people about biological ideas for about 50 years, and uh, so my, my education comes uh, in, in a lot of non-academic ways. Okay, so um, I know that you're constantly researching both old as well as uh, novel uh, breakthroughs in the interpretation of disease and the approach to disease, which is uh, less than uh, mainstream medical approaches because the the science very often has uh, a different perspective to which I think most people are subject in medicine per se, uh, that is to say, I think sometimes the uh, the truth of uh, trials and research that's done isn't always uh, brought out to the public, uh, certainly not in a timely manner. Maybe 20 or 30 years later, uh, we begin to see the revelations from that initial research and it come, comes to the attention of people, uh, a bit like the U-turn, if you like, on the uh, polyunsaturated oils that uh, now are recognised as being negative uh, for a person's health rather than the... Uh, financially viable positive uh, health uh, benefits so i think for this month we uh, talked about it a little while ago uh, last month or in december's uh, show about the um, treatment of urea in cancer uh, specifically with reference to a doctor evangelos danopoulos a greek uh, medical doctor who actually was I think he was conferred a, an honorary professorship. I think they know him now on the internet as Professor Danopoulos. But um, ultimately, he published uh, quite a few uh, peer-reviewed papers in respected medical journals, those being uh, things like The Lancet uh, and in the journal Clinical Oncology. Uh, one particularly, I know we're probably going to quote from, or you're probably going to quote from too, uh, that were published in 1983, and he did some research prior to that in the late 70s. So some of the questions uh, on urea and how a simple compound like urea that's totally non-toxic, extremely inexpensive and very well tolerated by all the people that were using it and people that use it per se uh, around the world for various things from skin conditions to uh, these cancers that we'll talk about, what are your what are your in, in, interpretations of the mechanism by which urea is affecting this anti-cancer activity? And then we'll get into some of the uh, outright experiments that were done. Um, I, I think one of the essential things is that it inhibits nitric oxide formation, and nitric oxide formation is uh, probably the main means by which uh, stress of, of any kind can turn off oxidative energy production. And, and so uh, anything that, that will turn off nitric oxide to excess uh, will restore energy production. And restoring energy production has all kinds of uh, even uh, structural ramifications. Uh, the, the constant uh, consumption of oxygen is maintaining and renewing uh, the microscopic structure of a cell. Uh, the membrane people about 50 years ago were arguing that uh, the membrane uh, is semi-permeable and it has to have pumps and cell energy has to run those pumps. But in fact, uh, there are no demonstrated pumps and the pumps that they postulated would take many times more energy than the cell could ever produce. Uh, so uh, the cell is doing something with its energy very different from uh, maintaining osmotic balance. 
it's maintaining the structure in a, a, a anatomically fine sense a structure right down to the electronic uh, relations of atoms to each other and it's this kind of balance that uh, uh, urea participates in directly as well as uh, helping to prevent the, the loss of the oxidative production of energy so that the energy produces this uh, structure which has all of the properties of life and urea fits into that in a, a unique way so that it, the normal amount in the blood is uh, just a, a few milligrams per, uh, per hundred uh, cc's of blood. But you can increase that to a thousand milligrams uh, per, to, to a hundred, almost one percent of the blood uh, without disturbing things physiologically. Uh, and uh, Danopoulos found that when he got the blood level up to at least 85 milligrams per cent, uh, uh, more than 10 times the, the normal amount, uh, the cancers would start disappearing. And uh, so it, it's a, a matter of concentration. Uh, even before that concentration, it will have uh, shut down the production and action of nitric oxide. But then it has these structure-stabilizing effects. It fits right into the way water is structured, and it uh, increases the ability of the cell's natural hormones to structure the water and a uh, protein system the way the cell wants to structure it. So it's like uh, urea is uh, uh, supporting what the cell wants to do even when it's at these extremely high concentrations. Okay, so it, it's a little bit similar to the uh, electronic uh, state structuring uh, water when we talk about structured water. That you, do you think? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, exactly what the oxidative system is doing to the electrons. It's it's preventing an excess of electrons, and toxins and carcinogens and radiation uh -huh. are doing exactly the opposite. They're putting too many loose electrons into the wrong places. Right. So, and, and this, and this, uh, by your description of too many loose electrons, we can imagine those as being the what they call the damaging free radicals and um, things uh, even, like even uh, more extensive than that. It's uh, the uh, chemical system of the proteins uh, contains a lot of sulfhydryl compounds. Uh, glutathione that a lot of doctors are are using uh, intravenously as a, an anti-stress thing. Uh, this is a, a sulfur compound maintained by uh, energy-rich uh, fuel molecules, but it maintains a, a certain degree of oxidation in balance with uh, sulfhydryl groups uh, attached to the proteins, and the proteins. Uh, are in, they're like a reservoir of electrons at the right energy level. And the oxygen metabolism, uh, besides providing ATP and uh, other forms of energy, is preventing an overflow of loose electrons getting into the structure of the proteins. Uh, and too many electrons will uh, de-differentiate the cell, move it towards uh, uh, non-oxidative energy production and uh, the formation of lactic acid which can start vicious circles right. okay because I know I read a uh, um, several abstracts of that or uh, yeah um, published uh, pieces of work done with various groups of um, people with cancers I know he worked on uh, liver cancer was something I we believe I believe we brought out two months ago. Um, the treatment and approach to liver cancer with urea. I know he worked a lot with people that had uh, liver primaries and or secondaries. Um, but the ocular cancers, the, uh, the cancers of the eye, the, the melanomas um, and the uh, 
basal cell carcinomas, that was pretty interesting, the way uh, urea, again, uh, was used in the treatment of those ocular cancers. And uh, uh, his articles on that have photographs that show yeah. very vividly the uh, correction, yeah. the elimination of the cancer and restoration of, of normal tissue. And one of the interesting things about urea is that at these very high concentrations, it is so stabilizing to normal tissue that it uh, prevents the uh, formation of de- deforming scars. Uh, huh. In a, a 1935 uh, publication, uh, someone was describing its uh, use in uh, uh, treating wounds of all kinds, packing crystals right into the the wound or the uh, uh, ulcer or uh, uh, whatever was an open open uh, damage to the, the organism. Okay. Uh, putting the, putting the solid uh, urea into it and uh, leaving it uh, would clear up the infection and uh, stimulate healing, but it would heal without visible scarring. <laughs> And I, I read that it promoted a fairly rapid uh, granulation tissue in the wounds, and that was uh, part of its uh, part of its mechanism by which it achieved such good wound healing. Yeah, I was seeing a story about an African spiny mouse that can regenerate its uh, tissue uh, very quickly. Like uh, they mentioned, that punching a hole in the skin, it could. Uh, close the wound by almost two-thirds in the first day. Wow. And uh, in three or four days, the wound would be healed without a scar. Now, now this, I think, from an energy perspective, is quite interesting. It's a bit of a a sidetrack from the subject, but young children and and, and young adults, they heal rapidly compared to uh, older older people, and that's got to be down to an electronic energy state within the organism, correct? Uh, yeah, the oxidative metabolism <clears throat> slows down from early in uh, embryonic development uh, down to uh, old age. Uh, there's a steady uh, decrease of oxidative uh, metabolism. Hmm. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the downfall of all of us who are gradually <laughs> gradually aging. Okay, so in order to uh, very quickly again, in order to stave off that kind of electronic degradation and the inability to uh, uh, oxidatively repair, uh, what what do you think are some of the best uh, tactics that people can use to maintain uh, the ability to stave off that uh, damage? Um, in the uterus, the um the developing embryo also heals without scarring. Right. And uh, the, uh, I think two factors are involved in that, the high carbon dioxide level and the uh, uh, higher uh, urea and related mm-hmm. compounds in the amniotic fluid. Uh, these in the adult also, uh, just pure carbon dioxide gas uh, can be blown into an ulcer and the uh, stimulate healing uh-huh. uh, uh, control uh, other other symptoms reduce pain and so on okay. uh, but I think as soon as an organism is born it starts uh, interacting with the outside environment where uh-huh. in, in the uterus it was getting its energy filtered through the placenta and uh, making its own fats out of the glucose and fructose that uh, were provided to it, and uh, the, the organism using carbohydrate for energy produces saturated fats or omega minus nine uh, unsaturated fats, and okay. when we uh, come into the world, we're exposed to uh, the fats produced by organisms uh, living at a lower temperature generally, right. uh, and um, the colder uh, a plant it's exposed to uh, the more uh, unsaturated its fats are, and uh, uh, they're of a, a different type than we would make ourselves. And those uh, interrupt our uh, oxidative metabolism uh, to the extent that we become 
saturated with them. And that happens progressively from the time we're born uh, in old age generally. Okay. Well, welcome uh, to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. Uh, again, we're very uh, proud to have Dr. Pete uh, sharing his expertise with us on the show. Uh, from 7 to 7.30 to 8 o'clock, uh, you're invited to call in with any questions either related or unrelated to this month's subject of urea and the treatment of cancers with urea. Uh, and then uh, in a bit here, we're going to get into some of the uh, mistaken mistaken lies um, <laughs> in fact maybe even purposeful lies uh, that are portrayed in the media uh, from various supplement companies and big industry uh, related to estrogen uh, and bone health and cancers and uh, phytoestrogen's role in that so if you live in the area the number is 923-3911 or there's a toll free number if you live outside the area that's 1-800-568-3723 so, Dr. Pete, uh, just going back to uh, Dr. Danopoulos' work with cancer, um, he was uh, he had several, uh, several, well, quite a few cases actually of uh, cancers that were completely healed, and I just find it so shocking when here is scientific evidence, peer-reviewed, in, you know, in, in scientific magazines that are portraying various other experiments from drug companies and or individual research from universities that showed what happened and uh, I just find it hard to believe that this kind of thing doesn't perpetuate itself and become common knowledge to a point where it's actually taken up by uh, academic institutes and and, and made more viable. I mean, I the medical journals uh, depend on the pharmaceutical industry largely and uh, yeah. urea that sells for <laughs> what, a couple dollars a pound or something yeah. uh, isn't a very uh, good drug, especially uh, a drug that cures. Right. Isn't a good drug, even if it's expensive. Yeah. A cheap drug that cures uh, it, it just won't work in, yeah. in the medical system. Yeah. I mean, I wanted I wanted to bring these out just just for those people that are listening. You know, I think we all have free choice, and uh, to find information out for ourselves is is always a good idea, rather than just listening to uh, whatever it is that we're being told by whoever it is that's telling us. It's always very good, I think, especially in the age of the internet, where I know there's lots of bad information on the internet. It's not to say it's all good, but there's lots of places where you can go and you can read scientific. Uh, medical information that you know is been researched and you know it's been pretty well scrutinized and when it's telling you that this kind of thing is being used to treat a cancer it's very hard to to ignore it so uh, i think just for those people that are listening perhaps they might want to look at dr danopoulos's work uh, in the late 70s and the early 80s and his uh, approach to the treatment of liver disease with urea as well as uh, cancers of the eye um, and then I think the other thing uh wanted to uh, uh, get into was just some of the amounts of the product. And uh, as you've already mentioned, urea is extremely non-toxic. It's kind of odorless and tasteless and, and it doesn't really have any anything negative going uh, going for it. It's very well tolerated. So I know some of the instances where he's uh, quoting case histories here uh, were using um, something like uh, 15, I know one of the quotes was 15 grams of urea in a quart of water, and this was to be drunk daily, so this was just a total amount of urea to be consumed uh, every hour or so, you know, in the waking hour, from, I don't know, from 9 or 10 o'clock uh, through till 6 or 7 in the afternoon, so so 15 grams of urea, and then there were injections uh, that were done with a 15, uh, up to 50 between 15 and 50 percent i think the average was kind of a 20 25 percent uh, urea solution uh, for skin tumors and that was found to be highly effective uh, and then i know he mentions and this is a little bit different i think here in the states we use blood urea nitrogen but he was quoting blood urea uh, as a level and, and quoting 75 to 85 milligrams percent um so what do you know roughly what that would what that would equate to, 75 to 85 milligrams percent, that would be? I think it requires uh, taking uh, more than, quite a bit more than 15 uh, grams per day. Uh, some of the studies were using up to 120 
grams per day, and okay. I divide it up in uh, doses of about 15 grams at a time. Oh, interesting. And uh, in the 1950s, it was probably the main treatment used for brain swelling, reducing brain edema, okay. uh, because it's, uh, a lot of people were thinking of it as, as an osmotic uh, uh, treatment, and it was displaced by uh, various uh, osmotic substances uh, to, with the idea that you would make the blood hyperosmotic to draw the excess water right. out of the brain into the blood. But urea isn't osmotically active uh, because it goes right into the cells. Uh, and uh, to be osmotically active, it has to be like sodium that stays outside the cell right. and, or like sucrose or, or some of the sugars that can't be absorbed. But urea goes into the cell, uh, sort of... Uh, soothes the cell's excitation, uh, changes its electronic balance, and lets the the cell excrete, give up the water that it doesn't need, uh, very much the way progesterone and thyroid work, Mm. adjusting the electronic state uh, so that uh, the um, ion exchange system uh, and uh, uh, electronic affinity for water is downgraded so that it doesn't bind so much water. Okay. uh, uh, That same anti-edema effect is still here and there used for treating congestive heart failure. Okay. I was looking up the uh, uh, Mexican pharmacopoeia, and I see that they still list uh, urea uh, to treat the edema of heart failure because it's a, a diuretic. It uh, uh, makes the kidneys work better. Mm, but it, it also um, uh, causes the, the muscles and other organs uh, to uh, not retain water so greedily. Yeah. Okay, so you said again, just to quote you again, up to 120 grams a day, you're saying? Um, yeah, for um, getting rid of excess water. That yeah. was the amount they used. Okay, and then um, he also mentioned, uh, in conjunction with urea therapy, uh, a compound called creatine hydrate, and saying that the uh, two of these compounds together uh, was even more effective at uh, treating these cancers than the urea alone. Do do you know much about creatine hydrate? Um, No, I I think it's probably uh, having some of the physical effects similar to urea, but it... uh also enters into the energy storage and management system. Right. Okay. All right. So uh, for those of you who are listening, like I said, you know, you can look on the internet, type in uh, Dr. or Professor Evangelos uh, Danopoulos, uh, and you can read all about his work with uh, liver cancer, eye cancers, uh, and other skin cancers uh, with the treatment of urea. So uh, it might well be worth uh, some people who have a... Uh, a compunction to do it to uh, take a look okay uh, the other thing that caught my attention here <laughs> and i don't know it sounds kind of incredible and I, I don't mean to sound like i'm laughing but it's just a bit like the cancer thing uh, it's just hard to hard to imagine that these things can go by and and not make not make a big dent or a big impact because uh, the next the next statement was the uh, common common white and brown r- mushrooms and we're going to get into aromatase and breast cancer uh, in a bit here with uh, the discussion on isoflavones and soy and uh, and why what they tell you is not the truth actually and this is the fact but um, the use of white and brown mushrooms to inhibit aromatase and um, prevent breast cell proliferation they were talking about 10 grams of mushroom a day um, presumably this is cooked now because uh, I know you've mentioned that regular white mushrooms and brown mushrooms actually contain a fairly carcinogenic compound, but uh, 10 grams of cooked mushrooms a day reduce breast cancer by 64%. And then with the addition of a daily gram of green tea leaves, which we probably, all those health-conscious people have probably heard about the antioxidant benefits of green tea, with the addition of a single gram of green tea leaves, uh, they got up to 89% reduction in breast cancer. I find that incredible. Um, yeah, the, the, uh, you would think that there would be more news about that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
Anyway, so that's uh, that's a couple of things that I wanted to bring out. We do have a, a couple of uh, people, I think, have, uh, are waiting to uh, take questions. So uh, with the engineer here, I think he's going to be passing those people on to us here any minute. Yeah, so uh, I think we have a caller here. You're on the air, and where are you from? This is uh, David from Missouri. Oh, hey, David. What's your question? Well, you know, uh, one of the, when you were talking about urea, uh, it seems like through the years I've read about indigenous people around the world actually using urine products right. for uh, medicinal purposes. Mm-hmm. Do you think why they, they intuitively knew that somehow that was the urea within the urine yeah, had I would... healing properties? Yeah, you know, I... And because those people are probably in a much cleaner environment, it it could be possibly safe. Dr. Pete, do you think there's anything to be uh, said for the supposed sterility here of, uh, of urine, given that you don't have a urinary tract infection, but uh, it's sterility and the uh, high concentration of urea in urine? Yeah, I, I've known quite a few people who did it regularly. Okay. And, and seemed extremely healthy. Yeah. Cause and I... it's been uh, the Chinese <clears throat> used it, for example, and uh, one one of their interpretations was that it was the uh, the steroids. They concentrated uh, uh, things like the metabolites of uh, progesterone and pregnenolone from the urine, okay. and uh, used these to extend the, the lives of the kings and rich people. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting, huh? Well, and um, Dr. Pete, do you you know? The things, the, the main things that you promote, you know, eating saturated fat, getting plenty of sunlight, and uh, a certain level of CO2. I'm not sure exactly how to ask this, but if we were to work backwards on the physiology of the human body, it appears that uh, evolution of, of humanity occurred in equatorial areas and possibly in more high altitude areas and i guess the warm climate would also be that you would probably be eating more saturated fat in plants and maybe in animals Um, would that be a if somebody would you know take your philosophy seriously and start doing studies based on that idea do you think they would find that that is how man evolved and that moving away from the equator is where a lot of the uh problems are occurring for the human organism? Uh, yeah, that's, that's my orientation on, on the issue of, of origins. Uh, high altitude, warm climate, uh, lots of fruit, and uh, uh, all foods would be more saturated in a, a more equatorial environment. Do you think in general that uh, people that are studying science know that that is the case or probably not because they're not they're not warning us about polyunsaturated fats and they're not telling us we need more sunlight and i I, they must be oblivious to that i guess yeah i I ran across publications in some of the uh, fairly uh, well-known food journals 40 50 years ago uh, showing that the the, um the fats vary with uh the climate and uh, that the, the fats uh, are uh, have a definite function. Uh, some of them are, are um, uh, functioning to to protect the plants against uh, animal predators by poisoning them. Uh, so they put lots of the unsaturated fats in their seeds. Uh, that that was recognized 40 years ago that the seed oils are are biological. Defense. It, it almost seems like if uh, somebody kept in their mind that you know we we do we did evolve from an equatorial area and that we do need lots of sunlight and we do need certain types of food that it could actually kind of guide you. It's 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 like so many people just don't get it that they're not getting enough sunlight when they're further north, and it's almost like if if they were reminded that your organism actually is adapted to a equatorial situation that they would think more about that you know um, yeah and and previously uh, when 
when it was summer in the high latitudes, uh, people were outside uh, farming, uh, herding the sheep or whatever, getting lots of sunlight exposure. And uh, uh-huh. in the last hundred years, people have sort of moved indoors and uh, gotten sicker. I think largely from deficiency of sunlight. I, I don't want to uh, interrupt too much here, but we do have three other callers on the line, so I just want to be fair to make sure everyone gets a gets a fair chance. So, okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you, thank you for your question, and thank you, Doctor Pete. Well, let's move on to the next person, so the other two get a get a chance. Okay. And next caller, you're on the air. And where are you from? From Arcata, California. Okay, yeah, go ahead. What's your question? Uh, you were going to talk about uh, uh, fish oil, and uh, I, I've, I've taken fish oil, and uh, I was, I'm hearing that you were going to talk about the, the negative effect, mm-hmm. that it's, it's not always cracked up to be. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate for you that the the research that's out there does not make it to the uh, popular main mainstream as quickly as uh, it would be good if it did. It's it's certainly taking a U-turn now. And I know, Dr. Pete, uh, you spent quite a lot of your life researching the polyunsaturates and how damaging they are. Um, if you want to briefly give the uh, gentleman caller a synopsis of the polyunsaturated, especially the fish oil and how damaging it is for you, I think it would be good for him to hear that. Um. The um, majority of the oils that we store are unsaturated. Uh, Our cells prefer to oxidize saturated fats, and so even when we eat a mixed-fat diet, our tissues with aging tend to load up on the uh, unsaturated. And the N-3 fats, uh, the uh, double bonds are farther from the acidic end which is uh, what is uh, handled biologically. And uh, the acid end protects against oxidation. So the N-3 fats are more unstable in the presence of oxygen. And so we don't store so much of those. So with aging, our uh, our bloodstream, uh, every time we're slightly stressed, uh, our bloodstream gets a, a fairly high concentration of uh, N-6 fatty acids, uh, which produce the toxic prostaglandins that produce uh, brain cell damage and inflammation and so on. And uh, so uh, if you take a, a meal of fish or eat some fish oil, these oxidize very quickly uh, and uh, form compounds that will interfere with uh, the formation of prostaglandins. Uh, but in doing that, they're also uh, suppressing the immune system. Uh, but you you get temporary relief to the extent that you're overloaded with the uh, most toxic N minus six fatty acids. Uh, so there, people experience uh, some relief of inflammation uh, when they take fish oil. But in the long run, uh, that's uh, doing its own damage because it's so highly oxidizable. Uh, In some experiments, uh, the um, N-3 fats increased the metastatic spread of cancer cells. Okay. Did, Did you get that, caller? Yes, I did. Um, what would you recommend for uh, as something that would uh, a substance that we take that would promote uh, healthy brain function, or maybe even the regeneration of, of brain cells and and, uh, and that instead of fish oil. Well, I know that Dr. Pete definitely espouses the saturated fats as very protective, uh, both uh, stabilizing cell membranes, uh, being cardiovascularly protective, which is not what you'll hear uh, if you read the newspapers or magazine articles. But in terms of uh, anti-inflammatory effects, the, uh, the saturated fats are definitely better and for brain function, for stabilizing the membranes in brains, that um, the saturated fats are certainly going to be the protective uh, compounds. So coconut oil, palm oil, butter... 
animal fat and I've got to say a caveat to uh, add to the uh, statement animal fat you need to make sure the animals are certified organic otherwise most of all the uh, residues of whatever pesticides or hormones or antibiotics they're uh, treated with will, will wind up in their fat so you don't want to eat the fat of a non-organic animal and it depends on what uh, fat the animals were being fed right. uh, chickens are highly yep. polyunsaturated uh, pork uh, for the last 50 years has been very full of polyunsaturated fats even though lots of science papers are uh, treating lard as a saturated fat with a uh, 35% or so of PUFA in it is definitely a, a risky fat. Okay. So we do have three more callers on the line, Dr. Pete. So thank you for your caller, uh, for your call, caller, and uh, let's move on to the next uh, callers. So next one, you're on the air. Where are you from? Hello? Is it me? Yeah, you're on the air. Where are you from? All right. <laughs> um, up on Bell Springs. Okay. Very local. Yeah, what's your question? Okay. My question has to do with breast health, and I know you're going to address that um, in the future. Mm -hmm. On the program, um, what I would like to ask is that you address uh, urea in reference to breast health, and particularly fibroids. Okay, Dr. Pete, did you hear that? The reference to breast health and fibroids and the uh, benefits of urea. Um, I I don't know of any uh, particular uh, treatments or programs uh, for those with urea, uh, but. Uh, the uh, the diet that uh, favors the formation of, of urea rather than uh, its uh, antithesis, uh, nitric oxide. It, it happens that the amino acid arginine uh, can either form nitric oxide or urea, and uh, irritants, uh, anything toxic, uh, tends to uh, shift it away from uh, forming urea and going to a nitric oxide. So avoiding the polyunsaturated fats uh, helps you uh, maintain the proper amount of, of urea formation. Okay, because Carlo, I, d I don't know uh, if you heard the earlier part of the show, I wasn't making a reference, or we weren't making references to urea specifically to breast health, but we were, if we have the time here, enough, otherwise we'll do it next month, we were going to get into the uh, common lies and mistakes that people are told about polyunsaturated oils and uh, estrogen and its, uh, its supposed health benefits, because uh, there's plenty of scientific evidence to show that estrogen is actually very damaging, and that in terms of breast health uh, and fibroids, I know Dr. Pete, you would agree that estrogen is probably one of the main contributory factors for fibroids? Oh, oh definitely. Yeah. Low thyroid yeah. um, causes the ratio of estrogen to progesterone and androgens to be very high. And uh, both um, endometriosis, uterine fibroids, and also a breast fibrocystic disease, all of these go with high estrogen, low progesterone, and low thyroid function yep. okay caller does that uh, help in any way yeah it does thank you very much i just um was curious uh because cancers were being talked about in relation to urea if it also would then translated to, to breast as well so that did answer it. Thank you so much. Okay, you're welcome. So like I said, if we get a chance here, we'll uh, get into the, uh, the the estrogen, negative effects of estrogen, and uh, talk about isoflavones. But we do have a couple more callers. So let's uh, take this next caller. Caller, you're on the air, and where are you from? Hello? Hi, you're on the air. Where are you from? Hi, uh, I'm uh, over the hill by Alder Point. Okay, and what's your question? Um, about insomnia. I, I'm, I take three blood pressure for high blood pressure and I sleep maybe one to two hours and it takes me an hour to two hours to go back to sleep and I'm just exhausted. I can't nap. I get anxiety attacks. I have shingles. What? And I, I heard that tart cherry juice, one to two ounces, helps sleep. What was that again? Had, what was that product again? Tart ch cherry juice. Tart, I heard that on Dr. Oz. I haven't tried that. Okay. But everything I've tried over the counter, medications, nothing helps. No, I bet. Dr. Pete, you're going to say this I'm is exhausted. a. Uh, I'll take my um, answer off the air. That way I could write. 
Sure. Okay, Dr. P, it's probably an over-adrenaline situation, but how would you best describe to this lady what she could do to uh, get some sleep? Um, checking, having a, a test for thyroid function is important. Oh, my sister has Graves' disease. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right, go, go, go ahead, Dr. P. Um, the um, blood sugar is always a, a problem at night. Uh, the... Uh, effect of daylight is to uh, maintain efficient oxidative metabolism and just 15, 15 minutes of, of darkness is enough to uh, uh, lower the efficiency of mitochondrial respiration uh, and so keeping very bright lights right up until bedtime uh, will minimize the uh, fall of blood sugar but having a carbohydrate meal uh, late in the afternoon or, or before bed, uh, uh -huh. a, gl a glass of uh, orange juice or milk with honey. Uh, okay. Some, sometimes the, um, uh, just the uh, uh, dose of sugar is enough to put you to sleep for an hour and a half or two hours, and uh, it, it takes time for the liver to start storing glycogen, uh, so it's good to have another glass ready for when you wake up. Uh, have another dose of orange juice or milk and sugar. And uh, uh, salty things, salty snacks at bedtime uh, help to stabilize the blood sugar and energy production. Uh, so like uh, milk and uh, maybe salty tortilla chips or uh, uh, puffed pork rinds, something, a salty snack as well as... Uh, uh, Even with high blood pressure? Think it's okay? Um. It, 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 They've um, got it so low now. The um, you have to uh, take into account uh, what drug you're taking, but um, vitamin K is a very important uh, nutrient for regulating uh, okay. blood sugar, blood calcium, and blood pressure. Uh, I've known oh. people who, um, in a week or two, lowered their points, their, their blood pressure by a hundred points. 240 to 140 or systolic pressure. Really? From t uh, taking vitamin K? Yeah. Um, and and so you have to, if you're already at normal blood pressure, you have to uh, be cautious and watch what's happening if you supplement large amounts of vitamin K. How much would I take in milligrams? I well, don't know much. Five or ten milligrams is oh. a, a pretty safe dose. How about vitamin D? Uh, yeah, that, that. that's essential. Uh, if you aren't getting regular sunlight or using a, oh. a D supplement, you probably should have a blood uh, test because uh, low blood vitamin D, uh, down around uh, 20 on the, the scale, should be uh, around 50 points. Between 30 and 100 is the normal range. But, but uh, Okay, I'm sorry to interrupt. So just get a complete blood panel like? Uh, well, you have, to ask, and... you have to ask for a specific uh, vitamin D3 test. Oh, vitamin D3 test. Okay. And it's not the, you don't want the activated vitamin D. It's the 25-hydroxycholecalciferol that you want to measure. And uh, oh. that's very important. Both vitamin K and vitamin D uh, prevent the um, excitatory excess, uh, and so it's okay. essential to have your uh, calcium regulated. Could I ask you how how I could speak to you? You have an office in Garberville? Uh, Dr. Pete doesn't have an uh, office in Garberville, but I do. If you wanted to, you could uh, consult with me at any point in time. You can just contact me uh, Monday through Friday. I'll give the number out at the end of the show. Okay, great. Yeah. Thank you very, very much. Appreciate no, you're welcome. Your time. You're welcome. Okay. A lot. Yeah, you're okay. welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you. We do have two more callers on the air, so let's take the next caller. Caller, you're on the air. And where are you from? Hi, you're on the air. Okay, I've got a couple of questions. Um, one, I want to know about this urea, if it's so good for cancer, and you say even cancer of the liver. I know liver cancer is very difficult to treat. Why is this not a more popular treatment? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. It's uh, 
I don't want to say it's conspiracy, but I think sometimes simple things get buried. And I think the truth of that is that when things are so simple, they'll quickly get buried under a paper of uh, a pile of papers that are supporting the latest and greatest treatments. And as we know, there is no real treatment for cancer. I think the uh, cancer industry probably has one of the worst track records going for cures. So. Well, it seems like, uh, I mean, I have a friend that got over cancer with radiation and chemotherapy, and she beat it, and she had a couple of large tumors. So mm -hmm. uh, these things do work, maybe not always 100%, but more than they used to. Yeah, I think there's uh, there's lots of things to look out for, though, in terms of uh, relapses with um, initial treatments. But uh -huh. that's, that, well, that's, that's not to say that everybody, uh, you know, it, it gets a relapse and ends up with uh, cancer down the down the line. The uh, five year mortality for cancers are post post operative are pretty pretty poor in most cases. There are not many cancers that have that truly uh, yeah, truly resolved. Well, they get a little time anyway. If they don't do anything, they die. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. Now, uh, the other thing I wanted to know is um, uh, this, I was taking something called glucosamine MSM mm -hmm. for joint yeah. uh, flexibility. Um, what is this MSM? Do you know what that is? It's, they think they said it was a sulfur that your cells needed yeah. or something. Is that important yeah, it, to it, say, it, take it, as a supplement? It is a sulfur compound, but I don't know, the Dr. Pete. Dr. Pete, what do you what do you have to say about MSM? Um, I think you should be very cautious yeah. and uh, read some of the actual research articles yeah. on PubMed about it. Uh, and uh, the uh, glucosamine, uh, or which was the... Yeah, uh, glu glucosamine yeah. with MSM. Uh, the, the glucosamine is... Uh, it's suspected of uh, being a factor in, in uh, creating diabetes if you take too much of it for too long. Uh-huh. But what about the MSM? What is the problem with that? Uh, um, that it, it can be toxic in itself. Uh, toxic how? I mean, and how much would that be? Because uh, what they told me was uh, that it was something that was that your cells needed to, to be healthy. Um, no, uh, cells definitely don't need it, but it's uh, tolerated in fairly large amounts, but it can also be toxic in those amounts. Okay, so what are, what are the amounts that are safe? Uh, well, I wouldn't... Uh, you don't know? Okay, the other one thing I want to ask you, you know, you were saying that fish oil is uh, not so good, um, but what about, I heard that fish oil, uh, like omega-3s, were really good for the heart. What do you think about that? Um, no, the studies um, have uh, all ended up uh, pretty negative. What studies are negative? Um, the the um, when when it's um, used for a short period, uh, you can do things like lowering cholesterol and uh, lowering blood pressure, but it it ends up with uh, the toxic. Uh, immune suppressive effects and it also has thyroid suppressive effects very uh, ne negatively impacting the energy uh, supply and the energy you're production. saying that, that uh, the, the omega-3 uh, uh, lowers the thyroid function yeah and they're specifically thyrotoxic so really yeah they have, I have to take thyroid yeah okay so they produce the byproducts of uh, these polyunsaturated oils uh, the lipofriskin is one of the uh, main thyroid suppressive uh, compounds. And indeed, as Dr. Pete says, whilst in the short term, uh, somebody who has plaque psoriasis may benefit from it, uh, the, the, the actual reason for it is that the immune system itself is being impacted negatively and suppressed, uh, and so therefore there's not such excitation going on with uh, rapid cell turnover in the immune system. Well, why is it so popular? And, and it's so popular it? because it's an extremely profitable product. Like, uh, like a, uh, margarine? It's a okay, waste, and one it's more a thing, uh, sesame tahini, that's made out of sesame seeds, mm -hmm. is that... Uh, the same is, problem. It's a, it's a liquid oil, it's polyunsaturated, 
Uh, people don't get oil out of nuts and seeds, you know, it just doesn't happen. Uh, it's very small amounts, and so to consume either sesame or Brazil nut or peanut or whatever nut oil is consuming a lot of the product that you'd never normally get exposed to, and this is the whole rationale behind understanding the negative impacts of these oils. Is that So you don't think that sesame seeds have good stuff for you? No, no, none of it. It's a very, very rancid, very easily rancified. They're extremely... Uh, quickly oxidized and turn into a sticky goo on the top of the jar anybody can take the top of a canola, a canola jar or a fish oil bottle and you'll see how sticky it is and that's because your oil's been so quickly oxidized in your body that same thing happens and that oxidative damage is extremely damaging well you can tell if it's rancid by the smell and the taste it's well, very right. obvious so co coconut oil does not go rancid you could keep coconut oil for years and it will not go rancid because it's so stable. Are any nuts good for you? Uh, not really. Well, I think one of the only nuts maybe that might be worth a mention perhaps is the uh, uh, Mauna Loa produced uh, macadamia nuts. Well, I was seeing on Dr. Oz that he <laughs> said the cashew nuts were very healthy. Uh, yeah, no, unfortunately not. <laughs> uh -huh. Okay, okay. And uh, what about... Um, CoQ10 is that a good thing to take? Uh, Dr. Pete, what do you have to yeah. say about CoQ10? I think you yeah. I think you yeah, favor I think that. it is good. Yeah. Uh, it's good. It works it works with vitamin K to uh, stabilize energy production. Okay, does vitamin hel uh, K help uh, vitamin D work better? Uh, yeah, they both do different things, but they regulate calcium and uh, uh, vitamin K has that extra function of stabilizing energy and brain chemistry. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, we do have another caller, but if we can get this next caller, uh, next question asked and answered in a couple of minutes, Dr. Pete, that would be okay. great. Go ahead, caller. You're on the air. Where are you from? Yes, hello. I'm calling from Bellevue, Idaho, and I'd like to know, uh, you've discussed how it takes four years to change the saturated fat mm -hmm. ratio of your cells to a healthy range. Mm -hmm. What if you're overweight? Then does it take longer to achieve this healthy ratio? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, Dr. P, how would you suggest that somebody who was, um, I don't know that this person is, but if somebody was obese, for example, and they had all this excess body fat, which naturally would be pretty uh, highly um, unsaturated, uh, how, would, how would they go about changing the composition of their fat, not only by changing their diet to only include saturated fats, but how would they gently exercise and lose weight to do that safely? Um, having your thyroid uh, at the right level is one thing, and uh, supplementing vitamin E because uh, when you're losing uh, stored fat, it's going to travel through your bloodstream, and so you want to have a, a steady supply of uh, vitamin E coming in. Uh, maybe 50 milligrams a day would help. Uh, and uh, uh, a lot of fruit, uh, orange juice, for example, has uh, safe antioxidants besides vitamin C that, that protect your, your uh, blood vessels as the, the fat is being removed. And uh, keeping your temperature uh, steady uh, at 98.6 or close to it during the daytime uh, keeps you... Uh, burning your um, energy productively rather than destructively. Okay. So, Carla, there you go. There's a, I, well, then, as long as you retain the weight, then you, 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 you still have uh, an issue then with unsaturated fat uh, cells. Is that correct? Um, yeah. The, when you lose uh, the fat, <clears throat> you're going to expose your tissues uh, to that uh, polyunsaturated fat that is in storage. And uh, if you keep your liver energetic with a good diet, enough protein, 80 to 100 grams a day of good protein, and keep your thyroid function up, uh, your liver will be able to dispose of some of that unsaturated fat as a, a toxin without having to oxidize it. So gen gentle exercise, keep yourself warm, make sure your thyroid function is working well, consume saturated fats, lots of OJ and other fructose containing fruits and or fruit juices to uh, speed up your metabolism. And then uh, coconut oil, obviously, as a thermogenic uh, alternative to polyunsaturates as a saturated fat. Okay, well, unfortunately, that's all we have time for. So uh, thanks for those people that have called in. I uh, just want to give people uh, a 
a uh, a reminder of how they can find more of Dr. Pete's uh, reference material on site. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Pete. Okay, thank you. Okay, so on the internet, www.raypeat.com, R-A-Y-P-E-A-T.com, lots of scholarly articles, fully referenced, research material. It's not hocus-pocus, it's all research material. So just like Dr. Danopoulos with the uh, stunning results with liver cancer as well as uh, skin cancers and ocular cancers uh, there's lots of alternatives out there and it's not wacko uh, it's just unfortunate it's not mainstream but that's because it doesn't make too much money I suspect. Anyway for those of you who have joined us uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back next month, uh, third Friday of the month from 7 till 8pm uh, my name's Andrew Murray uh, we can be reached one eight 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 wbm herb for consultations or further questions, Monday through Friday. Good night.